This is attorney Andrew Markintel and attorney Mark J. Victor, and we are the Attorneys for Freedom. You, my friends, are listening to the Peace Radicals podcast. What's going on, Mark? I got issues today, Andy. Oh, are you upset about something? Yeah, man. We're going to get into that in a second, but first let me paint the picture a little bit for our listeners right now. We're not in our normal environment in the law firm in suits and ties. We usually uh, record this at the end of a very busy day. We usually record it on Mondays. Uh, Mondays are particularly hectic. You have things that have been building up over the weekend and clients have been calling and fires to put out. And uh, we usually uh, record it at the end of a busy day at the law firm. Well, not today. Today's a Saturday and it's uh, we're in beautiful Chandler, Arizona in the beginning of May. It is uh, just gorgeous weather. It's just slightly overcast, not quite too hot to the Arizona heat. And uh, I'm drinking a Hanalei IPA from uh, Kona Brewing Company. And uh, Mark, before you uh, go on your tirade uh, and tell the, our viewers what you're upset with, I want to tell a little story about this particular beer and why it's meaningful to I me. I can't wait to hear it. So um, as, uh, as the listeners may know, uh, we are attorneys at the Attorneys for Freedom Law Firm. You can check us out at, at attorneysforfreedom.com. And uh, I've been practicing law in Arizona since about 2014. And uh, after about six, six and a half years of practice in Arizona uh, for myself and 25 some odd years for Mark, we decided that we wanted to open up a law firm in downtown Honolulu. And that's exactly what we did. So we found a wonderful office space in uh, Bishop Square in downtown Honolulu, uh, on the beautiful, beautiful island of Oahu. And uh, we, of course, uh, as many of you may know, we had to get certified to practice there. What does this mean? Well, it means that after uh, two and a half decades of being out of uh, law school for Mark and seven years for me, uh, we had to dust off the books and go back and retake the bar examination in Hawaii. And, and we both took it in stride, right? We heard about, we said, oh, that's what we got to do. All right, well, just take the bar again. No big deal. What was surprising to me was how much I enjoyed the experience. Me too. Loved it. It was very different. Excellent. It was very different than taking it the first time, yep. right? Because I didn't have a job back then. I was right. fresh out of law school, didn't have to worry about anything. But this time when I took it, I've got clients, you know, I'm, crazy. I'm getting phone calls, I'm trying to do practice tests, I'm getting people calling me, I got the paralegals right. on me, and, uh, you know, we had to mark time off of our calendars, like, this is study time, like, I gotta dust off, you know, real estate law and things like that, you know, and uh, contracts and things that we hadn't even thought about for, for years. So I go and I take the bar exam in uh, 2020, uh, February of 2020. Uh, this is right before the pandemic was declared. It was still a hoax at yeah. the time that I took the bar. <laughs> and, uh, uh, this is right before the, the crazy lockdowns that followed, and Hawaii was one of the most stringent of the lockdowns. So I go and I take the bar exam, and uh, it's the day after taking the bar exam, and it, it is a huge process. Anybody who's been through this process, any lawyers out there will know, or anybody who's known a lawyer, perhaps had a family member who is a lawyer, knows how stressful and just what an what a experience it is to go through this giant multi-day-long examination. Well, it's the next day, and I decided to do—I'm a hiker, and I decided to go on a hike in, uh, on Oahu. I went to a ridge called Willy Willy Nui Ridge, and Mark always laughs when I tell him the name of that ridge, but I went to Willy Willy Nui. It was absolutely spectacular, 
beautiful views. It pretty much is it's towards the center of Oahu, so you just get these gorgeous panoramics. You get the ocean. It's very tropical, beautiful flowers in bloom. It was just gorgeous. So I get to the bottom after this lovely hike, and I take an Uber, and I ask my Uber driver, where should I go for lunch? He said, have you been to Kona Brewing Company? I said, no, let's go there. So he takes me there. And I go, and I sit out, and it's on Kona Brewing on Oahu is on this little bay. And you go out, and you can sit there on this kind of covered patio, but it's right there on the bay that goes directly into the ocean. And my waiter comes over, and I say, what would you recommend? She says, do you like tropical fruits, juices, things like that? I said, absolutely. She brought me a Hanalei IPA, and right when she dropped it off at the table... A beautiful storm came rolling in, and this happens in Hawaii where it just, it'll start raining, and it's not like a crazy intense storm, just a nice drizzle, these beautiful clouds came in over the bay, and that's when it arrived, and I tasted it, and whenever I taste this IPA, I can find it here at local grocery stores in certain places, whenever I taste it, it takes me back to that wonderful moment right after I took the Hawaii bar exam, sitting on the bay, drinking a Hanalei IPA. What a great story. So this is a meaningful beer to me. Yeah. So after that moment of zen, Mark, what are you upset about today? <laughs> you know, um, man, that story just made me think about just our Hawaii office and how much I love going to Hawaii. I can't believe I, I got back just, what, a week ago, and I'm leaving again in two weeks, and I can't wait to go to Hawaii again. Yeah. Just love exciting. it. Yeah, we have so much work we got to do in Hawaii in that state. Oh, There's my a lot God. going on over there, too. Well, I mean, the whole Live and Let Live movement is basically launching from Hawaii. They don't even know it yet, but we're, we're dropping this global peace movement in on right there on uh, the people of Hawaii. And we're using the, uh, the shaka, the Hawaiian shaka as the symbol, and it's Live and Let Live. And I just can't wait to, uh, to do our thing there, to bring the Attorneys for Freedom brand, the whole the way we practice law, what we're about. We're not shy about it. What we believe in, we put it right out there. No problem. Hawaii is such a great place to do it, too, because the live and let live principle, the feeling of live and let live is so beautifully summed up by kind of this aloha spirit totally. of yeah. the island. In the book um, that I'm, you know, I'm writing this book right now, which is going to be, um, you know, hopefully the answer to the person who goes to the website and then looks at the videos and says, yeah, it sounds great, but what does it all mean? How would it work? Could it really work? Is there a way to do it? Yeah. Read this book. That's what I'm writing it for. And I'm working very hard with um, other people who understand the live and let live principle as we do and love it and have it in their heart and are all doing it for the right reasons, which is what I love. We had a wonderful meeting yesterday um, that included a lot of the kind of founders of the movement and, uh, you know, our marketing uh, folks and several people over in Africa who are starting the Africa chapter of yeah, Live and Let Team Live. Africa. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm so inspired by Team Africa. These, very, very cool. Yeah, it's great to be on a Zoom meeting and have people just chiming in from Nigeria and Kenya and Cameroon and all these different countries in the continent of Africa. And they're young and they're energetic and they really understand it. And I remember on one Zoom call, I almost literally cried they all flashed me the hawaiian shaka from <laughs> africa it said live and let live and they were just going off and how much they loved it and uh we're actually i really would love to see team africa lead wouldn't it be wonderful if africa the continent where so many people have lived so horribly for so long in such terrible 
just awful conditions, if they led the world in bringing the live and let live movement to the world, I just think that would be, I'm just so on team Africa. I mean, really it should be the United States. Damn sure should be the United States. And I would love to see that happen. I'd love to see Hawaii be the center of it. I'd love to see Arizona be the center of it as well. No problem. Yeah. Now, um, yeah, when we were talking yesterday, we were strategizing and kind of coming up with game plans. We like to begin with the end in mind whenever we're moving forward on a big project. And this is certainly a a huge project. Huge. Um, But uh, one of the things that we decided needs to get done sooner rather than later is this book that you're writing, Mark. Um, And I should mention the process has been ongoing for a long time. Yeah. And every step of the way, you are constantly consulting people. You've sent me who knows how many different drafts and versions of the book. You've sent it to so many other people. Richard Stevens, for example, was in that, who's who's another attorney, and Dave Dorn, who we've had on the podcast before, and uh, Ola, and uh, so many other people have given their input. So um, it's been quite a process, and and one of the things that we decided needs to get done sooner rather than later is this book needs to be finalized. So I'm guessing that that prompted you to go over to your computer and start working on it yesterday. I know that you said you were going to spend the rest of the day on it. And um, when I walked in this morning, you said that you've hit sort of an impasse, kind of a hang-up on some particular issue. What's going on? Yeah, actually, that is what's getting me just upset. You know, the G-Man, right? G. Douglas Anderton, the G-Man. Yeah, the G-Man's awesome. Yeah, he's we gonna, need to have him on the podcast. We're totally going to have him on. I was trying to get him on today, but G-Man's tough. He's Why don't busy. you tell who the G-Man is first? Uh, G is a, a guy I met really back at a discussion group many, many years ago, probably 25 years ago. There was a discussion group in Phoenix. I had just come out of law school, and I was fired up. I understood the philosophy. Butler Schaefer uh, taught it to me by asking me the right questions. Never answered a question ever was very proud of the fact that he never answered a question, but he asked the right questions. He got me to think it through. He got me to understand the principle, the live and let live principle, and uh, that I've been thinking about since that time. And what just, kind of things did he ask you that made you realize the principle? He said, well, for example, once he, once he explained to me what I now call the live and let live principle, he called at the time the non-aggression principle, or really just sort of principles of freedom and peace. He thought these words were all connected. Um, he taught me this concept, this principle, which we now call the live and let live principle. Don't initiate force or fraud or coercion or put other people at substantial risks. So he kind of set me on this path to think about this as I've been a lawyer. And I love the law. I love but real quick, what, what questions? You said you, that he never oh, gave well, you I, the answers. I he would challenge said. him. I'd come in and I'd say, hey, Butler, you know, if we didn't, in essence, use force, use the government to do this or do that or force somebody to do something somewhere you know, there, wouldn't there be a horrible problem here? And to my surprise, he would say, yeah, totally. I'd see a huge problem there. And I, he would let me feel like I won the debate. And then he would just simply turn and say, what do you think would happen next, Mark? I said, I don't know. And I'd have to think about it. And I, you know, some other possible form of chaos. And I would say, well, maybe this. He said, yeah. But what do you think would happen after that? And then I would think, well, you know, if somebody steps in, somebody figures something out, we do something differently, and then there's a solution. And then I say, oh, now I understood. He caused me to think it through myself, think through what would actually happen. I couldn't have envisioned really the solution. I stopped thinking about it. He got me to start thinking about it again. And he made me free to think about it any way I wanted to think about it. 
And so when you lay out this principle and you understand, look, be, all you need here is being an aggressor is the wrong thing. If you can figure that out, you're on board with live and let live. And you should be. That should be our fundamental principle. It's the first thing people agree on. If you imagine unreasonable people, cavemen, they hate each other, they're fighting. What would be the first thing that reasonable people could agree on? How about this? You stop hitting me over the head and I'll stop hitting you over the head. Let's not, at least not be aggressors. Let's agree to disagree. So Butler teaches me about this and I'm, and I'm on fire coming out of law school and I come to Phoenix and I'm looking for other people who understand this and I get eventually I wind up in this discussion group. There's this group of people there and they love to talk about these principles, freedom and peace and the G-man He's the guy, he's one of the many friends I meet at this discussion group and friends I've maintained for the last almost 30 years now. So G wanders over the other day and uh, he's talking to me and we're talking about a chapter in my book that I'm struggling with right now and I don't know what to do with it. And G prompts this discussion. I'm talking to him and I'm asking him about my chapter where I suggest that a reason that you might not agree with our principle is Maybe you're just unreasonable. I mean, maybe your position is, I'm not against initiating force. And um, can I just call these people unreasonable? Or is that too harsh? That's kind of a bridge that I've crossed, and I've said, I'm going to call them unreasonable. So let's, uh, let's take a look. Let's, let's look at the most charitable, the most charitable light of this, what you are calling unreasonableness. If I say that it's okay to aggress against people and force them to pay taxes, and the reason we're going to do that is because we want to take care of the lowest of, of the low in society. We want to take care of the people who really need it, who are struggling and impoverished and need food and water and shelter and everything like that. So the most charitable among these folks would say, you know what, sometimes it's okay to force taxation on people and to extract the money from people because it's going to a much better use. And so your position is, I want to call these people unreasonable. Yeah, I want to say first to them, look, no, it's not okay. No, it is not okay to initiate force against other people for any reason, even to achieve goals that we both agree should be achieved. There are things we should do in the world. We should definitely help those who are less fortunate than us. it, that's part of our movement, voluntary kindness towards other people. That's a so, value. So, yeah, I mean, I, I understand, but I think your hang-up is, is it too harsh to call these folks unreasonable? No, right. I'm not hung up there at all, Andy. I'm calling them unreasonable. They are unreasonable. I'm sorry. I'm happy to call you unreasonable. If you don't agree that initiating force is wrong, I'll call you unreasonable. I got no problem with that, and that's not my issue. But the G-man pointed out something I didn't think of. The G-man says, yeah, Mark... Not only are they unreasonable, they're hypocrites. And I thought about it. He says, nobody agrees to have a force initiated against them. As to them, they're in favor of the principle, right? No. They don't want to be aggressed well, against... Well, hold on. I don't know if I agree with that. Okay. Lots of people are in favor, in favor of having force initiated against them. People who are like, ah, you know what, I, I don't like paying taxes, but I get it why the government comes and doesn't. Okay, I call that an agreement. You've agreed. But if, I, if you went up to that person and tried to punch them in the face, do you think they'd object? Yes. Yes, because they don't want to have force initiated against them. That's the reason they're objecting. 
And if you're going to object to having force of any kind, force, fraud, coercion, or even have people put you at substantial risks of harm, any of those things, um, I think you're a hypocrite. That because you're taking a position that it's okay for you to initiate force against other people, but you object when they do it to you. What about the argument that, and I'm just playing devil's yeah, advocate yeah. here if that isn't clear, um, but um, what about the argument that there are some, there are some things um, that are so obvious, um, obviously in the benefit of society or in the benefit of the common good or whatever it may be, that to not agree with uh, the initiation of force against you is harmful to society. So, for example, if we had 99% of people agree that taxation is a good thing, for the reasons that I gave, would be their arguments. Um, and we have the one person who says, you know what, I, uh, I, I think it's wrong, I think it's bad, and everything like that. So non-conforming to societal norms, that's exactly what it would be. Right. And everybody else would say, no, no, this is, this is a good thing, yeah, it's a pain, yeah, it's... Uh, being taken from us by force and everything like that. And when you say, well, that's an agreement, well, not really. Like a lot of times people will say, oh, my God, this year is, I'm paying $10,000 more this year. The solution here is clear, Andy. Look, I I say to the 99%, look, if I'm in the 99%, I say, look, we can get it done ourselves. We don't need this 1%. If we want to do it, let's just do it. What's the problem? But we're not going to initiate force. We're not going to violate our principles. If we violate our principles and shake down that 1%, who are we to claim any kind of principles at all? We're just thugs. So yeah, I don't think we need to aggress against the 1%. Let's get his agreement. If the, if the cause is just, the cause will get done. And, it, and you cannot legislate a virtuous society. You have to do it for the right reasons, right? Charity ceases to become charity when it's forced. Real charity is something that you do because you want to do it. It comes from your heart. It's, nobody's forcing you to do it. That's the kind of charity that we value. The other is theft. So you agree with uh, the G-man's analysis? That I do. And I, think, I think this is a hypocritical position to take. The question I have is, am I bold enough to say this in my book? Do I say not only are you unreasonable, but you are also a hypocrite? Well, why wouldn't you? Well, I did. <laughs> I, did that. I did that this morning. So I got over the problem, but I, you know, I'm still struggling with it because I don't want to be too cocky. I want to present a civilized position. And because number one, it's a value of our movement. And number two, it's the right thing to do. And number three, I don't really want to turn people off. I don't want to really insult people. I want to make them think. But to me... I think it's an important enough point just to note. The vast majority of people in society are not abiding by the live and let live principle in some way, shape, or form. If they think that taxation's okay and if they think that legislating morality is okay and drugs should be illegalized and everything like that. I disagree with you, Andy. I think these people, I think the vast majority of people in their personal lives abide by the live and let live principle. Yeah, there's some thugs running around who don't, for sure. Uh, But most people don't initiate force or fraud or coercion or do things that put other people at substantial risks of harm. That's how most people act. The problem is they don't see the same thing when government acts that way or when somebody does something and has a badge on. 
that it doesn't change the analysis and it shouldn't change the analysis. What they think is, oh, it's okay for the government for whatever reason. We need to just convince them that this rule that we value so much, not only should it apply to every single person, no matter what their color of their skin or if they're fat or thin or rich or poor or what language you speak or what foods you eat or what songs you sing or holidays you celebrate applies to every single person. And even if they form groups, why shouldn't it apply to the group they form? And it doesn't matter how big the group is, even if it's a corporation. Shouldn't it apply to corporations? Corporations shouldn't get to violate the rule. So why on earth would we accept that the government should be violating that rule either? Get agree, it done. agree with that. But if they were, if they support, if somebody supports a group or an organization that violates the live and let live principle... Aren't they? Don't they have some sort of guilt to bear here? Yeah. So how can you possibly say the vast majority of people are not violating the live and let live principle? They are supporting a system what? and a group and a government and a structure that violates, that has atrocious violations of the live and let live principle every day. They are. But the, the problem here is they just don't recognize that they are. We need to just explain to them that the same rules apply to everybody. Apply the same rule that you know is true in your heart. This rule. Here's here's <clears throat> why. Okay, let's get back to your. Um, well, what I guess was a temporary hang up, but I guess that you've gotten over, well, which is calling the people who don't accept the live and let yeah. live rule. Um, hip, unreasonable, unreasonable hypocrites. hypocrites. Unreasonable yeah. hypocrites. And I'm saying, is this going too far? Well, here's maybe why you have a hang up on it. Maybe it is going too far. Let's let's think about this. Right. Like the, if you are not a, what you just said, you were you just apologized for these folks. You were being an apologist, and you said, "Well, they just don't know. They just don't understand." I'm yet. just they, stating the facts. They're not educated yet. I'm just on, stating the on facts. the fact that they're supporting an institution that is violating the live and let live principle. They're not thinking about it clearly. That's what you're saying. What I'm you're saying, saying yeah. that, that they're not educated on it. They're not thinking about it clearly. They don't understand. It's harder to call somebody who's kind of, whether innocent of it, of not being critical enough or, or not, it's hard to call somebody who's not intentionally doing the wrongdoing an unreasonable hypocrite, right? If, In other words, if they're just innocently unaware and they're not thinking about it clearly and they haven't been... Yeah, I think this it, might be a it's fair It's tough point. to then yeah. stick a finger in their face and say, you guys are unreasonable hypocrites. Yeah. Hypocrisy requires a certain amount of intent. They're ignorant about the fact that they're hypocrites. That's different. Well, that's yeah. different because actually hypocrisy requires that you intend to act one way mm. and uh, you, you like you have certain preferences and then you intentionally violate those preferences. Maybe hypocrisy is not the right word. Maybe it's they're acting against their own self-interest, right? So totally. That's an excellent way to put it. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. In fact, this is the reason in the debate I had with Walter Block why I think I won that debate. I don't. I know you haven't watched it yet, the debate I had with Walter on optimism and pessimism. And, of course, it's a friendly discussion with Walter um, because we agree on 99.9% of um, pretty much everything that we talk about. But I think I won the debate because at the end of the day— what we're pushing with Live and Let Live is compatible with our self-interest. The only thing I really am banking on here is that people act in ways that they at least perceive to be in their self-interest. And I think we have a very convincing case that the Live and Let Live rule is actually in your self-interest. It's win-win. And thinking win-win and interacting with other human beings in ways that do not initiate 
force, fraud, coercion, or put them at substantial risks. That those are the best ways to interact with other people. Those are win-win ways. Let me bring you back to the issue at hand, which is, okay, is hypocrisy the right It's not. No, I think we decided that it's not the right term because... Maybe it is. For some folks, they know that they're violating the live and let live. If you know that and you don't want to have... I mean, you could could enjoy force being initiated against you too, right? There are people like that in the world. So you have to put both of those things together where you uh, want the law to be to act in ways that allow you to impose your will on other people through the mechanisms of whatever. This person that you're, this hypothetical person that I'm talking about, though, isn't rare at all. It's common. In other words, somebody who says, I know that Jeff Bezos doesn't want to pay this amount in taxes, and I think we should impose it on him anyway because it's for the best of society and it's for the common good. I think, again, I... Because they know that they don't like paying taxes. (laughs) Yeah, to be clear, though, I just think... The bigger problem here is that they're just not thinking about taxation as being theft. If you could convince them of that, which I think is kind of an easy argument, if we could get them to think about it. It's like, look, here's the, here's the argument. People are getting their money taken away from them, aren't they? Yes, they are. Now, if they agree to have their money taken away, this should be okay, right? Right. If, they're, if they don't agree to have it being taken away, this would be theft, right? You see, you see you'd easy, you would think you would get it right there. And then all you have to say is, well, are taxes voluntary or involuntary? And then all, if you want to test this, all you got to do is stop paying them. And, you know, as a criminal defense lawyer, you have clients from time to time who do these kinds of things. And what they find out is the hard way. If you have a good lawyer, the lawyer's going to tell you, hey, forget about everything you think. The government is not going to agree right now that tax, that you have an option to not pay the taxes. They're going to take them from you. They're not voluntary. So let's just call it what it is. I mean, I think what we should deal with in our movement is just what's actually going on. Let me, uh, let me go a little bit further, because one of, the, one of the things when you're starting a movement that you have to pay close attention to is accessibility of the ideas to the public. And if you want to change hearts and minds, you got to present it in a way that is digestible and that yeah, people can understand. Totally. It's very, very important, right? <clears throat> Everything. This is, this is one of the failings of the libertarians, it right? It is. They, it they, is. They come out and they say, shocking, crazy. You, you know, you know <laughs> I got a guy right now who... Um, some some prominent libertarians now who like Live and Let Live are spreading it around. And I'm getting some messages back like, oh, no, I don't like this. And the reason they don't like it is because I think, and I'm going to have a conversation with one here soon, is because they see the aspirational values and they think they, they sort of put this together with the actual principle, which is they think, oh, he's going to force open-mindedness or tolerance or voluntary kindness or civility. What if I don't want to be civilized? What if I don't want to be open-minded? What if I don't want to do these kinds of things? Well, they're not understanding what the move, how the movement works. And the reason is because we make a point of explaining to people, look, there's, ethic, there's an ethical world and then there's a legal world and they're different worlds. There are different concepts and different ideas and ideas, and we need to keep these things separate and think about them differently. Yeah. So um, on that note, is it? Uh, let, let me back up a little a little bit. I, I showed um, I showed some of the promotional materials that we made um, for the movement. Some of the stuff that's on the website to some friends, and um, one of the videos that we put out starts with reasonable people of the world. It's kind of aiming the message to the reasonable people of the world. And you've said this many times, Just because of the discussion we just had, really. You've said this many times, Mark, that I don't have any use for the unreasonable people. I I don't know. I can't talk to those people. I want to put this towards the reasonable people. Well, let me me just 
put out there. Maybe we should think, okay, so I think we've come to an agreement that as much as we love uh, G-Man and we believe in the truth of his analysis, maybe hypocrisy is not the most technically correct term that we can use to illustrate the problem that he identified. You know, but, you're just delaying the book now because I got to go back and rewrite that <laughs> section. Well, we want it to be good. It's yeah, worth it's gotta, the delay, right, just right, like right, just right. like every step of the right, way. Right. We've consulted many, many other minds from yeah. many, many other backgrounds. Um, but let's back it up a step further. Is unreasonable the the proper um, term for these folks? Okay, because if you want to, if you accept the premise that people who violate the live and let live rule are unreasonable, and if you accept the premise that folks that um, in their personal lives may not initiate force in a personal at a personal level, but support and are complicit in the furtherance of giant violations of the live and let live rule, usually through governments, organizations, groups, things like that. As you correctly say in the book, it is not an, it is not an excuse that you hire a thief to go and rob somebody right. else. That's not something to hide behind. So you would be calling the vast majority of people unreasonable if that's your position. Okay, okay, that's a very good question, but I think it's important to understand the context in which this chapter comes up. This chapter comes up after I've, with excruciating detail, laid out exactly the difference between legal rules and moral rules and why we keep them separate and how we figure out the difference. And then the principle in great detail. I've explained it now very, very clearly. I've dealt with other objections. I've thrown all everything I could possibly think of of why a person might say, you know, I wouldn't agree with this principle. I've sort of dealt with all of that. And at the very end... I say, maybe there's yet another reason. Maybe you just are unreasonable. In essence, at this point, now that you've understand everything clearly, you still nonetheless say, I, I support initiating force against other, or fraud or coercion against other people. You're the initiator. You're the bad guy. And you're saying, I think that's okay. Yeah, I think at that point... I think I can call you unreasonable. At least un <laughs> I probably call you a lot worse than that, but at least unreasonable. Understood. So what you're saying is, if you understand these principles and concepts, yeah. and you say that it's still okay to initiate yes. force, so we should just be careful in any promotional materials that we put out <laughs> or anything like that that we're giving people a chance to be reasonable. Because yeah. as crazy as it is, I can't believe we have to call ourselves the peace radicals. As crazy as it is, yeah. these are foreign concepts to a lot of folks. You know, it's so funny the use of of the word radical here too just always kills me people sometimes will say mark you're such a radical and i say radical what is so radical about saying look i don't think people should initiate force against other people i don't think that they should initiate fraud i don't think they should co i mean if you think about each of these things and say is there a time i would disagree that i think it's okay to say punch somebody in the face as the initiator not as a self-defense matter and so, you know, I, you think about it, at the time you've laid all of this out, yeah, it's hard for me to get my brain around anything other than unreasonable at that point. As far as, uh, while we're on the subject of discussing things that are bothering us about the book, and these are, God, I love these conversations, Mark, because as we always tell people, we agree on 99% of yeah. things, but maybe there's a, the rub is like that 1%, and those are the most fun things Murray to Murray Rothbard about. said that every dog gets one free bite, so you don't throw someone out just because you, know, you disagree on one principle yeah, or absolutely. something. absolutely, and I love hearing you and Walter talk about the thing. It's so yeah. funny because you guys are so aligned, <laughs> but if somebody just tuned into your conversations, you would think that you guys are yeah. <laughs> have totally different worldviews, but... Um, I have something that's been bothering me um, okay. that I, I, I need a better answer for before I accept this. So um, to go kind of into the legal world a little bit, 
the role of jury nullification, right? Yeah. So what's the status <clears throat> quo right now? The status quo. So jury nullification is if the jury finds um, that uh, all the state has, in fact, met all the elements, perhaps. The state has uh, proved its case beyond a reasonable doubt or whatever standard by whatever uh, measure of proof that is required by the given society that it's in. And uh, they've met that gr- agreed upon societally or, or th- whatever it may be, agreed upon standard of evidence. And uh, it's very obvious that this person is uh, guilty of whatever they're being accused of by the criminal code. And despite all that, the jury says, you know what, this law is just wrong. This law is wrong. It, it shouldn't be illegal to possess the drugs or to you know, have committed this moral crime or whatever it may be. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the example, the tough example that you give is one of the person who murders or tortures the, uh, the terrorist in order to find out where the bomb is, right? They literally have aggressed against <clears throat> somebody. They've committed the crime. Uh, every I, single I have, element a, I have a new one that I, I like in the book now that I'm using. I'll just tell you about it. I, I have the, and this is, I didn't originate this. I think I've heard it somewhere before, but uh, innocent person is strapped to bomb. A terrorist is going to explode the bomb, kill, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. And uh, the seconds are ticking away. The only possible way you can deactivate the bomb is to shoot through the innocent person who doesn't want to die, uh, deactivate the bomb and save everybody. Yeah. This and, reminds me of the old railway question, yes, right? You flip it to save lot, five and kill yes, one. There's lots of questions surrounding these types of issues, right? So uh, you might do the thing where you kill the person, but it happens to be the right thing to do. So this is actually one of my objections to the principle. You might say, well, it doesn't apply to every single case. You might say, okay, here's a case that really doesn't quite apply the way we like to see it apply. So the way we deal with it is we don't pretend that there wasn't actually an initiation of force against a non-aggressor. There really was. Uh, The problem is we don't really want to punish this person with like prison. That's too harsh because normally when you violate the non-aggression principle in a way that is serious enough as an initiation of force, fraud, coercion, or substantial risk, those are, ser- those are all crimes. That's what the criminal code is about. Every, time, every one of those violations is a criminal violation, which means it's serious enough that you could go to jail or prison. And that's a serious deal. So what we're really doing, there are other ways to violate the non-aggression principle or the live and let live principle, uh, which is different. The non-aggression principle stops there. What I've added is other less serious violations of the live and let live principle, which is contract violations, right? Breaches of contracts or torts, which let are... Let me get you back on to jury nullification. Negligence. Let me get you back okay, on no, to- So I'm going back. So I'm just explaining how I see this. So a jury nullification, to get back there, the guy that killed the person, he actually did commit a serious violation of the rule. He murdered somebody. That is in the serious criminal court. But when the jury says, we're going to nullify the law, we just don't think it applies in this situation because the right thing to do was to violate the live and let live principle. That was the right thing to do. We're going to find him not guilty, which effectively kicks it down to the civil court. So now it becomes a civil matter. So the, the victims or victims' families now bring a civil action, and they get compensated because the live-and-let-live principle was violated, 
but it, they can only get damages there. And in a, in a virtuous, and of course, the civil court jury could say, you know, it was the right thing to do. We're going to award zero dollars. They could, it was they could, but but if there was no jury nullification there, then the market will solve that problem too, because everybody's going to pitch in and pay for the judgment of the guy who just saved the world. So I'm not too worried about that. That's just doing the right thing, right? That's the way things are supposed to work. And those are, those are also the kinds of things to me that reasonable local communities can totally differ on. Let's get to my issue. Um, and then also, just so everybody knows, the status yeah. quo in America right now is that we can't even make a peep about this to the jury. If we're, if we're in trial, we can't That's say, right. we can not turn to the jury and nope. say, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, even if you find all the elements of the statute were proven beyond a reasonable doubt by the state, you can judge the law as wrong or immoral, or yeah. you can come yeah, so, back with a not guilty. Yeah, so to put it into context, in the case of my example, right, with the terrorists and the, the defense attorney, he could say, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, it's very, very clear that the prosecutor proved that my client committed this murder. He absolutely did kill. No question. We're not even arguing about that. But give him a break. Come back with not guilty because he saved the world. That's the reason he did it. And send it to the civil and let them let him be sued civilly and, and he shouldn't go to Which prison. Which is just kicking the can down the road, of course. Because well, it's then removing... The, then, the, then the civil jury, the, the uh, defense attorney makes the same argument to the civil jury and asks for zero dollars to be rewarded, awarded to the family. Or, or you say jury nullification doesn't apply in civil cases, and that's well, we the need end to of that. We need to think well, about that, these but things. But this is precisely what I'm saying. Local communities can do different. We don't need to. We, either one of those is perfectly reasonable. It doesn't violate the live and let live rule in any way. So I could imagine one community says a civil jury can't use jury nullification, and another one says, yeah, they can kick the can down the road to no liability at all, and that's the end of that. Either of those that the reasonable minds can totally disagree. And that's one thing about our movement. We don't argue about these little details. We say, look, the local communities, these kinds, precisely these kinds of questions can be divvied out by the local communities because reasonable minds can disagree. Let's get to my issue uh, at long last. Yeah, man, bring so, your issue. So, so my, my concern is that... Um, that discretion will cause major problems in terms of the jury uh, imposing their morality. Let me give you an example. Most people, the vast majority of people in this country, would say, oh, um, Jeff Bezos has $50, million, $50 billion or whatever it is. Let's steal $20 million from him and call it taxation. And then from stealing that, he won't even notice it. It's, it's a small little fraction. It's a small little blip. He won't even notice it. He makes that much in an afternoon. And from that theft, we will be able to keep 50,000 families from starving or from, be, or from dying, from not making their bills, for having clean water, for having medical necessities. And um, the defense attorney turns to the jury and says, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, yes, it's true that uh, they've proven a theft of my client, Mr. Bezos, um, and, uh, and uh, sorry, I should say the defense attorney, maybe for the government or for the thief, would say, yes, they've proven it, uh, the theft against Mr. Bezos. Um, however, look at all the great things that it did. It saved 50,000 families, and Mr. Bezos He's on the record saying he didn't even notice that the $50 million was taken. This was the right thing to do, just like with the terrorist and shooting the innocent person to get to the terrorist to save as many lives as possible. This was the right thing to do. And then they could come back and say, yeah, I can see that. That's a good argument. In fact, I would, I would 
posit to you, the vast majority of people in society right now would take that position. I'm so happy that you raised this point, because this actually, if there's one big point in the book, besides trying to communicate the live and let live principle, it's this sort of, um, it's, it's this notion that kind of goes to what you're talking about. If we don't win enough hearts and minds, then nothing's going to happen here. That's why it's the goal of the movement to win more hearts and minds. I'm not trying to say we should do this or do that or elect somebody or sneak some legislation across. Then none of that's going to work because, as you point out, juries could do the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. But we're never going to get to a live and let live society until we win enough hearts and minds. So the people in the jury say... The, que- the answer back to that argument is, hey, uh, why would we allow anybody to violate the rule? That's our most sacred rule. Nobody gets to violate the rule. Well, even the, the person who shot the innocent person to kill the terrorist violated the rule. Un- unless it's one of those little very... And if, you, if you recognize that the right thing to do is sometimes violate the live and let live rule and it could be a one percent... You understand how this is making my point for me, right? The person, the jury could say... You're telling me Mr. Bezos didn't even notice but, it, but and, and, we sa- have... and we saved 50,000 families from dying? That sounds like the right thing to do. I, I think there's a difference between having the principle in your heart and understanding it as I think people need to, and being able to qualitatively see why somebody would commit a murder to save a, a city of people, a heroic act, and why it's still wrong to leap to steal from a rich person. It's still wrong. That's you know, a lot of people analysis. can... Uh, no, it's not. A lot of people... The reason why Robin Hood is a popular story is because some people think that it's heroic to steal from the rich and give to the poor. This is Espe- what- Especially if it's this extreme example I just gave where it is. Maybe yeah. you saved more people from stealing the $10 million from Mr. Bezos than lived in the entire city in the analogy you gave with the terrorists. This is why we need to win hearts and minds. There's no escape. There's no way around... But, but but the problem, Mark, is is that I can see somebody with it in their heart and mind to what's important at the end of the day is saving as many people and helping as many people as possible and lifting people up. Yeah, if these rich guys don't want to be charitists and they don't want to have altruism, they don't want to participate in altruism, we're going to force it on them because that's what's in the good of okay, society. Okay, so this is where you have to talk about the aspirational values. If Understanding and being in the movement isn't just about the live and let live principle and how all that works. It's also about the aspirational values. And one of the aspirational values is voluntary kindness. It's voluntary kindness. That's an important value in our movement. It's not involuntary kindness. So to be part of the live and let live movement, this is why you have to understand the difference between a legal rule and a moral rule and understand that legal rules are just simply the principle. Moral rules are the aspirational values and voluntary kindness is one of them. Yes, guess what else is another aspirational value? Not killing somebody, not harming an innocent person. It is what you're saying is completely indistinguishable from your terrorism, that shooting the innocent person to stop the terrorist. It's completely indistinguishable. You're doing something that is obviously contrary to the principle with the intent of doing the greatest good for the greatest amount of people in that scenario because it was the right thing to do, right? I, I think people can see the difference between the two situations. I do. One is you're, you're saving the lives of other people. And the other is the you're only, saving the lives of other yes, people. Yes, but it's not like in one situation there's no other option. In the case of the murder, there is no other—clearly the, the scenario is set up, so there is no other option. 
In the other let's scenario, set it, let's set it up like that. Then let's say that Jeff Bezos is the only person who has money in the account. We're having a thought experiment here. In, in that, according to according well, to your it, it, according to your you, logic, then it fits. Then it fits. Then we're I'll allowed concede. to steal the money from him. If if you're going to save the lives of everybody else. It, to, if you set the scenario up as far down this scale as you possibly can, as we people who like to do philosophy yeah, like well, to do... Yeah, well, guess what? Your, your analogy with the shooting to an innocent person to save the world is pretty far down the is. line, too. It is. This is why I use it as an objection, because I say, I don't... These things are very, very rare. They may not come up at all, and I deal with it as an objection to somebody who says, I still don't agree with the principle. So I'm dealing with that exactly the same way. But I, you could push it down, I think, if you could create your thought experiment in a way that uh, people just push it to the extreme. The entire, people, everybody in the world is going to die. There's no other option unless you steal money from Jeff Bezos. Then, uh, yeah, I think that the right thing to do is to steal money from Jeff Bezos because there's absolutely... So as, the, soon, as, you say, as soon as you say, the ends justify the means sometimes. As well, soon as you say, it's okay to violate the 3LP... If because the ends justify the means, sometimes that's opening up a slippery slope that well, I'm worried about. I, that, that's why I don't think it's okay. I think a ju- I think to me where we began was jury nullification for me is only to go from the criminal to the civil. I think you still violate the rule and you're still held accountable. I just think that under certain circumstances, if you have a society who has the live and let live principle and the aspirational values in the heart. They understand what the movement is about. Uh, if you have to lynch Jeff, Jeff Bezos, it o- it's only under the circumstance that you're stipulating to the fact that everybody else in the world is going to die or some scenario like that. Okay, you can't have a philosophy that is anti-human life, right? And at the end of the day, if you're pitching something that's just not practical, that everybody was going to die, sorry, you have to come up with a different philosophy. So, you know, nothing perfectly ever fits into a box. But, you know, another thing that worries me about the jury nullification issue is that it uh, one of the aspirational values of the movement is reasonableness. And we want to be reasonable. Yeah. We want to be fact-based, science-based, Civility. Commi- committed to truth, things like that. Well, specifically, fact-based, committed to truth, things like that. Jury nullification gives certain communities the discretion to not value those things. You could imagine, for example, if you had a trial in a jurisdiction that was populated by banana worshippers. The um, the uh, head religion there is banana worship. Um, the banana gives them their value code and everything like that. And so they may nullify certain crimes. Well, what do you mean a molestation of a child? Our banana tells us that you're absolutely allowed to molest children, and this is where we get our moral code and our values. And if you're telling us we don't have to follow the law, the law says you can't molest children, but you're telling us we don't have to follow the law, we're going to nullify we're going to participate in jury nullification based on something that is contrary to some of the other aspirational values. Look, again, you can design it so there's... This is, well, no, no, this isn't that hypothetical. I'm trying to um, stay away from, you know, picking on certain religions. But there are certain very popular worldwide religions right now that would call things that would be a crime not a crime well, because it's justified. You need to understand if, the difference. If, if for between... example, if for example, in some extreme Muslim countries, extreme Islamist countries, 
um, they would say, oh, what do you mean murder by throwing the homosexual off the roof? That's, wh- why are we even talking about a crime right now? It's, it's mandated by the Quran. Why are we even talking about this? Well, again, this is somebody who doesn't have the principle in their heart. I think if you have the principle in your heart, then one of the main tenets that I guess you understand is you can't impose, that's the part, big part, one of the big parts of the book, that uh, you don't get to impose your morality on other people, period. Uh, that's a, if you don't get that, there's no possible way you could be part of the live and let live movement. And there are, look, I can see there are people in the world who feel that way. Uh, and some of them I might label unreasonable. Well, I'm trying not to waste my time talking to those people because we can't get through to them and they have belief systems like the banana worshipers that you're talking about or whatever. And we're never going to get them to see that they're imposing their morality on other people. That's just to me an unreasonable category. And I I don't want to do anything to them. I just... I prefer not to be around people like that. I rather choose my the people in my world. I want them to have the live and let live principle. Let me in their say heart. something in defense of the banana worshippers, which I think is a really, really important point for this movement. If where you end up is that you like the live and let live principle, and that's what's in your heart and mind, it doesn't matter how you get there. Which is one of the totally. one of the best parts about yes, this I movement. love this. I love this point. And we were um, one of our very. You know, we, we very good friends have been working on this, and people from Christian backgrounds yes. and Muslim backgrounds, yes. and, and and you know wh- whether or not somebody worships a banana or not. I yes. don't care how they arrive right. at that. Don't principle. care. Don't care. Th- that's one of the great things about this is that we can kind of. There's it's many, an irrelevant issue. There's many roads in, right? You might you might take your religious beliefs and say, you know, based on my religious beliefs, we call it the golden rule or something like that. Or Joseph Smith said, teach them correct principles, but let them govern themselves. If you have something in your religion that leads you to the uh, rather unremarkable and obvious conclusion that, you know, initiating force, that seems like it's the wrong thing to do. That violates the golden rule or whatever. Great. I don't want to argue about that. There are people who are social contractarians. They think we have a deal with each other that's implied and this and that. Great. If, it, if what's included in that deal is a basic idea of don't aggress against another person, fantastic. There's natural law arguments, right? Uh, that just the na- the nature of the universe is such that things act in their self-interests and uh, this is consistent with us actually acting in our self-interest and in the interest of other people, which is win-win, habit four and the seven habits um, So of highly effective people. Excellent book, by the way. So um, look, I think all this stuff really works together and it gels. And um, if if you understand the difference between a moral rule and a legal rule, I don't care how you get to these basic kind of principles. If you're an objectivist, if you get there from economics and think, hey, you know, if we did this, we'd have a higher standard of living. Fantastic. Uh, we don't argue about that. As long as you get to this, what I call the common, fundamental, moral, lowest common denominator of any kind of moral code that is civilized on the planet, you should be able to get to aggression is wrong. And that's all I need to get you there. Everything is built out from there. I'm still not uh, satisfied about jury nullification. I'm still concerned about any any um, any assertion that 
it's okay to violate the principle sometimes. Well, let me let me just back you down a little bit and say I just present this as a possible suggestion. Other people might come up with other workable suggestions to the proposed problem of there might be a time when the right thing to do is inconsistent with the live and let live rule. How you want to deal with that in your community is really your choice. To, to be clear, and we're totally we're totally screwed up on this right now in America because while the power exists for jury nullification, yes. we can't, we tell can't talk about it. They can't use it as the right. reasoning. And they got to swear an oath to do exactly <laughs> otherwise. The judge will The judge will them. give you the law. You'll follow the law exactly as the way. So we all play pretend and we secretly come back and then yeah. we say, yeah, uh, we found the state didn't meet their burden. Right. And what, so, what do you mean? We found the drugs in his pocket. He said he owned the drugs. You know how many times, because, you know, of course, I've been arguing as somebody who's believed in this principle for a long time. A long, long, long time before I ever smoked marijuana did I argue that this was wrong. And it was wrong because you own yourself. And I was making this argument over and over and over again. And boom, now here we are. Now here we are. It's just things change. People should be optimistic about the possibility of things changing if you can change things for the right reason. At the time of this recording, Arizona has pretty recently, about six months ago, just legalized marijuana recreational. This is after you know, years and years and years of ruining people's lives with felony convictions because we got to get over this. It's not about whether you smoke marijuana. It's not about whether it's healthy for you. It's not about whether it cures medical conditions or it's harmful or not. It has nothing to do with that. It's about this. Are you a competent adult? Are you in charge of your own body? Who gets to decide what goes in your body? You or somebody else? I think the answer to the question is you. You're the owner of the body. What does it mean to own a body? It means you're in charge of the damn thing. We should get real about what we're talking about. Let's end with uh, a little uh, preview on what are you working on next in your book? What are some of the things you're excited about? What are some of the uh, topics you loved writing on? Actually, I started moving on it aggressively. After our meeting, I wrote yesterday and I busted it out. I got up this morning and I was writing. I'm making progress. You know what I'm a little nervous about now? Finishing it. Because I think it's going to be finished eventually. And I'm going to say, you know what? There's more I want to say. I'm worried about them starting to feel that stress now. Like, what might I get to and just totally say, ah, I wish I had included that in the book. You will. And somebody's going to make a brilliant point the day after it's published. And you're like, this is why I'm fishing it around. This is why I'm arm wrestling with Walter Block. Because nobody understands at least that core principle better. Nobody pushes me on the questions about the aspirational values. And all the libertarians who are like, what are these aspirational values? I'm like, look, we need to talk about the difference between the legal world and the moral world. And by the way, uh, we should be pushing these values. I don't feel bad about pushing open-mindedness and tolerance and voluntary kindness and civility and increasing human happiness and decreasing human suffering. If you, if, I mean, if you're going to attack me for that, fine. I think it's self-evident. I don't care what your moral code is or where you come from or what color your skin is or if you're rich or poor, or whatever your background is, you should be able to figure this out. And it should apply to you, right? Can't, I mean, is this such a hard argument? Are we really radical because we're pushing this notion that aggression is wrong? If that's a radical, if I got to call myself a radical and call this show the peace radicals, then let's do it. But if you think that's radical, I don't know. Check yourself first. Check yourself. It's not that crazy. Last thing I'll say before we sign out here is the Peace Radicals is about to get a makeover in a serious, serious way. 
Um, up till this point, we have been just uh, audio, and uh, we're aspiring to uh, really ramp up the production in a big way. Why do it if you're not going to do it right, you know? So we're, we're dedicating uh, some space in our law office in Chandler to uh, make a studio and make it very professional, and we've got our marketing folks working on doing intros. It, makes, it feels like a big step. It's going to be awesome, We man. need to step it up. Yeah, we need to bring people on who will disagree with us, and we need to hash it out with them. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So I just want to uh, give everybody a heads up that, yes, we'll still be available in audio um, on where you've been finding us before, but uh, there's going to be video coming soon. I'm really excited about it. We've got a whole bunch of new guests. We've got folks working on uh, some great guests for us, and uh, I'm really excited about the future of the podcast. Yeah, and you know, if you've been listening to this the whole time and there's something that you don't understand or something that you think we haven't explained or some question that's just bugging you, like... What's the answer to this or that? Or how do you feel about this or that? Or Mark, I want to give you some advice or whatever. Yeah, just bust it out. I'm so easy to get a hold of. Just send it to Mark, M-A-R-C, at attorneysforfreedom.com. Andy, A-N-D-Y, at attorneysforfreedom.com. We would be happy to take any of your questions or comments. Also, of course, here comes the plug. We need you to check out liveandletlive.org, all spelled out, liveandletlive.org, for this podcast and many, many other wonderful updates and all kinds of great stuff going on with the movement. We're super excited about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really pumped up, Mark, after our meeting yesterday. We're kind of picking tentative launch dates, and yeah. it feels like it's really coming together. Yeah, man. and I'm trying to bring on quality people, people of character. You know, I'm trying to bring people right now who are coming because what they have in their heart is I really love this live and let live thing. I want to be part of it. How do I help? How do I work on it? Because I want to help improve the world. Like, those are the people who I think we want to attract in terms of if this thing's going to live and die for the right reasons, right? If it goes, it's going to go not from some crazy jingle or something like it's going to go for the right reasons because people say, you know what? It's true. Uh, we shouldn't be initiating force or fraud or I mean, is that so hard? So I think it'll, I think it's going to go for that reason. Well, my Hanalei IPA is empty, and with that, we're signing out. This has been attorney Andrew Markintel, attorney Mark J. Victor. We are the Attorneys for Freedom, and this has been the Peace Radicals Show. Peace. Peace.